This week's episode of the Dick and Ham Show is brought to you by Bark Lawrence Suzuki. At Bark Lawrence, we don't just sell Suzukis. We thrash the hell out of your Suzuki before you buy it, because that's what we like to do. So thanks to Bark for being such a great sponsor. He's been a long time sponsor of the show. Uh, welcome to Boots. Welcome to Andrew. It's it's the dream team of uh, we've never had this lineup on the court at the same time before. That's true. Every everyone needs strong strong depth on the bench to to bring home the pennant. And uh, you've you know you've you've got some real role players on the on the chat today. That's for sure. Ooh. I prefer to look at it like I mean the Golden State Warriors had their lineup of death when they would trot out. Curry, Thompson, Iguodala, Green, and either Harrison Barnes or Durant, depending on which year you are. And I like to feel like that's this lineup, and Dave's Iguodala. <laughs> I, was, I had the exact same thought, but I was thinking of the Dream Team, and I was thinking, I don't know who's who on the Dream Team, but I know that Sam's Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> Not invited. Good enough to be on the team, but disliked enough by his peers that they shut him out. <laughs> the Christian Leitner. Are you Christian Leitner? Was that was that controversial? Like in hindsight, you look at that and you could have chosen Shaquille O'Neal as the college guy on the nineteen ninety two Dream Team. And in hindsight, obviously that would have been pretty amazing. But was it controversial at the time? No, it, it wasn't. I mean, Leighton was on Duke, which was the reigning national champion, so they picked the basically the best player off the championship team. I mean, at that point in time, notwithstanding that Shaq was looking like a a, a surefire pro, there were still doubts about what he would be in the pros um, and also his teams didn't get out of the second round of the NCAA tournament. Hence his, uh, his uh, famous line, I've won everywhere, but the pros in college. <laughs> so I, th- I think, look, in, in hindsight, yes. I mean, there's a number of players that Alonzo Mourning was the college player of the year that before that um, dream team year, he could, it could have been him. Bobby Hurley was um, mm. a very good player on that Duke team. At, at Grant Hill was also on that Duke team, though he was a, a year younger than Leitner. But I think, you know. In the end, Leitner was fucking good. I don't think there's any arguments about that, is there? He was a good pro. He, he was a good player, no doubt. But he wasn't Shaq, you know. It's just, it's just that 92-93 that draft, which is the draft that came just before these Olympics, he, there, there were just so many players who ultimately ended up in the Hall of Fame. That, that, that's why that, the question that Dave poses is a legitimate one, but the reality is that, that at, at the time, no one queried the selection of Leitner other than why are we bringing a college player? Why don't we just bring another, another pro? But of course, it would have been hard to get them on the court given, given the, the distribution of minutes as it was. Yeah, yeah, I guess young Shaq wouldn't have played many minutes either. So whoever it was, they're not gonna they're not gonna be doing much other than holding the Gatorade and waving the towels. Exactly. You're sitting behind Patrick Ewing and David Robinson and just you know, yeah, bringing bringing their drinks at that point. Yep, yep, exactly. Well, it's good to have you both back on the on the team. Uh, it, it has it has been a while. Uh, last week, obviously, controversial episode where we you know missed a whole bunch of shit. But this week, this week's gonna be different. Should I start, Andrew, with? This is sort of related to you with mailbag. I know it's our it's our trademark to go a bit early with the with the mailbag, but I think maybe we should start with that. I want to talk about TV and some other things, but maybe we should just get right into mailbag. We've got a man named Craig Dean who's written in, and it's it's great to hear from people that we don't know. It does not happen very often. It basically never happens because our listenership is basically just our friends. Uh, his email that arrived yesterday. Hi boys. 
love the show. I grew up around Melbourne. You guys remind me a bit of people I used to know. Uh, so one, one thing has been bothering me about your show. Why do you guys tease one of the other guys about Jeff Bezos all the time? I don't really get it. And he said, he says more, is it because that guy is an expert in technology? If, if so, if he is an expert in technology, I have two questions. One, I read that the American Department of Justice is suing Google for anti-competitive behavior. What does that mean? Second question, will my Gmail account be affected in any way by this? Uh, look, I, I feel like this is right in the wheelhouse of uh, another <laughs> mysterious <laughs> mathematician that, that wrote in. It <laughs> seems legit. It's legit. It, it does not seem legit at all. Um, you know, I've done a quick search of Craig Dean's in the area and there's, there's not a lot uh, coming up for Melbourne. So I'm going to say this is <laughs> another cleverly planted ruse by you, comptroller. Bravo. I love your level of skepticism. You checked straight away. Random mailbag. Yeah. yeah that's, as soon as you like, as soon as it gets so particular about what is a pretty throwaway part of the segment where you guys give me shit about affiliate being affiliated with Amazon. <laughs> if he's going to drill in on that and then just ask some questions related to it. I mean, you've got to, you've got to not telegraph it so much. Dave. Yeah. Just, I, I did oversell just make it. it a little bit. More. I was, I'm actually a bit annoyed because you, you, you built it up. You said in the pregame that, you know, we've got, oh, we've got some mailbag from a completely random dude. I genuinely believe that was true. Uh, and, yeah, you fucked us again. Look, it will it will happen one day. We just got to keep keep working on it. The last thing that this dude says, just just so just for the record, uh, on the subject of Google, how do I clear the Google search history on a computer that I sold and am no longer in possession of? It's really important that I delete some things, but I can't really ask the guy I sold it to. Thanks for the help. Go pies, Craig Dean Yarrawonga. He wants to. <laughs> 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 Now, I'm not sure if that's a genuine question from you. <laughs> you sold a laptop recently? What is no. happening here? <laughs> first of no, all, what, no, what was Dino's bullshit first couple of questions? I don't know oh, that was, it was a bit interesting, actually. The answer about... to that last one is, no, you're, you're screwed. You're, you're screwed. Yeah, no, you've got a problem. you just got to hope that, that no, one, no one looks at that. The first one was about uh, the Department of Justice suing Google for anti-competitive behavior, which they are. It's, um, it relates to their search... I don't know what it, the last time I think this happened boots. You might know this was Microsoft. I think was sued by the DOJ for bundling internet Explorer. And that was seen as anti-competitive because it crushed, I guess, Netscape or whoever the competitor was at the time. It made it impossible for them to compete. I guess this Google thing is related to how they bundle in their search service with all their other products. Um, do either of you guys know anything about it? No, I, I actually, well, I don't. think, they're actually the DOJ. Uh, sorry, sorry, Boots. I'm on. A, I'm on. Clearly, on a bit of a delay here, so it's kind of fucking with the flow. Uh, what I was going to say is, from what I've read the last couple of days, they're, they're f sort of honing in on the close time with Apple and the fact that they've they've notionally done back end deals with Apple to ensure that uh, Google search is embedded into iPhones. So it, it's it's they're going to focus on search initially, I think, and it may broaden. But at uh, the moment, I think it's mainly just the, the, the fact that their search is ubiquitous and it's really hard to get away from. And if they've done deals with you know, seeming competitors or, or at least peers in the industry to ensure that their search is, you know, becomes eponymous with, with particular tech, then 
you know, how does how does anyone else get an option to to squeeze in and, and offer an optional product? So, you know, I think they're going to be in some some trouble. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a, but what do you do though? Like, let's say that they're found to be abusing a monopolistic position. It's um, the barriers to entry, I would guess, are reasonably high. It's not like anyone else can just make a search engine as good as Google and say, oh yeah, this is the other option. I mean, Bing exists, and there are other things that exist, but they're clearly an inferior product. So they kind of, you know, painted themselves into a really good position because they've got something that's the best and it's very hard to replicate. It's all about choice though. That's that's where the problem comes in. The government are, I'm sure, concerned primarily about the fact that they have access to so much user data. And so they're just looking for a way to, to stem that somehow. And so this is probably their first shot across the bow to, to have an effect. And in the end, what they'll just be targeting is just making sure that people have a choice so you, you, rather than having, say, Google search embedded into iPhone uh, operating system, it'll just have to be that you can change that if you want to one of an array of, of other search services, which is exactly what they did with Internet Explorer in the end. It wasn't, you know, it was the default and it was pre-installed with, with Windows, but then they just had to then make functionality possible where you could go and install another one and make it the default so that any time you open a, a link, it would go to the one, open the browser of your choice rather than IE. Yeah, well, I guess Chrome started, I'm not sure how we started talking about browsers. We can uh, we can move off the, 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 <laughs> the browser topic. It's, it's not the richest goldmine of comedy uh, or entertainment really, is it? What are you, are you guys, it's been a while since we spoke. What are you guys watching? Has there been anything on your watch lists that we haven't, uh, haven't heard about before? I've got a couple, but I thought you could go first if you had anything interesting that you're watching. Look, uh, we have watched and you may have come across this David Borgen, the Danish political drama. Yeah, I know it, but I haven't seen it. Is it good? Uh, it is good. Look, as, as Andrew knows well, the, the, the West Wing is my favourite show. And so I'm a, I'm a sucker for a uh, sort of head, head of government focused uh, political drama. Um, and this one, this one is done quite well. There's a default setting on Netflix, though, where they basically dub it in English, um, which is horrendous. Like, uh, somehow all of these Danes get um, Northern English accents, which is <laughs> quite... quite it, it's, it's not like a nice accent. It's quite an offensive accent. And um, that, that you, you kind of need to turn the subtitles back on to, to uh, enjoy it. But uh, it's about the, the first Danish... Uh, a, a fictional uh, Danish first Danish uh, woman prime minister, um, and then it uh, sort of just goes through that. It's gone for three seasons, and now Netflix has has rescued it because it actually de- debuted in twenty thirteen with three seasons um, that were spread out over about five years, I think. But now Netflix has, has rescued it, and he's a as a fourth season in production. So for for people who who like the the West Wing and shows. Uh, of that nature, it's uh, it's quite good. Nice one. I, I, I've seen it uh, advertised, but I've never never gotten into it. One, just one thing on the, the the dubbing that I found interesting. When I was I did some work with Netflix years ago, and I was just talking to about their expansion into new markets. And one thing they told me, which I was really surprised by, was they were learning a lot about the preference. Like Netflix know a lot about a lot of things, and they're they're constantly kind of you know being data driven and all the rest of it. It's part of the reason they they do so well. Uh, although their earnings this week were not so great. Uh, anyway, one thing they were not expecting when they went into Poland, 
it turns out the cultural norm in Poland is a version of what you have there with the Danish people, like having automatic English dubbing. But what they want in Poland is something that's, it's the same, but it's one actor reading all of the parts. And that's what they, that's their preference for watching stuff. That's not Polish. So they had to redo like a radio play. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. That's what they want. And it's got a special name, like, uh, like typecasting or some wacky name. And it was like, Oh yeah, they love typecasting. You have to have it. We've never done it for any other market. And I was like, what the hell is that? So they just get one actor who reads out the entire script. Don't know if they do like wacky voices for all the different characters or just read it. And they must do slightly different voices. Otherwise the dialogue doesn't make sense, but basically that's how people insist watching their content and they, they couldn't have really penetrated that market if they hadn't have done it, which um, I was shocked by that, that that's how people. It sounds genuinely stuff. insane. Uh, I, I can't, I can't get on board that. Me neither. Well, if you've got Polish uh, listeners who can explain that further, just, uh, just mail us. Uh, Andrew, what have you been watching? Well, actually we were talking about it the other, the, the last couple of podcasts or maybe a couple ago, um, Ranch and I kicked off a rewatch individually. Of course, we're not, we're not hanging out at each other's houses because that's simply not possible, but we kicked off um, simultaneous rewatches of uh, Patriot, which it was alluded to that maybe you dipped your toes into. Yeah. Yeah. Still, still sort of hovering. I need to get back into it. I'm, I'm stuck at about four or five episodes in and I'm, I'm wavering. So I need to, need to give it more, more effort. Well, there's, there's not that many episodes after that. I think there's only six or seven in season one and about the same in season two. So you're almost halfway. So I'm right. not worrying too much about, about the hovering. But um, yeah, we kicked off rewatches. I, I finished it uh, as usual in about three days and Ranch is still on episode four or something. But it's, um, yeah, it's a good show. Enjoyed the rewatch, certainly. I've got, I've got a soft recommend that I, I started off loving it and then it's it's there's one major fault with it that's stopping me from continuing. But it's worth, it's worth a try called The Vow. V-O-W as in the wedding vow. It's yes. a documentary. I think it's um, on HBO. I'm not sure who in Australia has it, but somebody would. It's about a, a cult called Nexium. It's like a business and personal empowerment become, a, you know, your, your best possible self um, cult, like so many of them are um, from, from quite recent times from about 10 years ago. And the thing that's interesting about it was that, one of the first people sort of dragged into it was a, was a filmmaker and he and others filmed everything, recorded every conversation. And like most cults, it got into a pretty weird place pretty quickly. And the, and the charismatic leader soon turns out that it was kind of like a sex cult. And they were, they were branding the women like cattle who were in his little sort of sex gang. So it's sort of morbidly fascinating viewing to see how people reasonably intelligent, normal people can be head fucked into thinking this stuff is, acceptable and normal and 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 the thing that they should live for and sure enough that's what happens to a large number of these people but so fascinating premise and the fact that they have like they literally have all the phone calls and everything and this you know so it's the the material that they can draw from is is almost infinite but they whoever sort of yes you're gonna lay down some spoilers here do we have to throw a spoiler alert including guys you're talking to right now no it's not a spoiler it's just it's just a, a flaw that that is started to bother me and i think it's a fatal flaw which is going to stop me from watching it the rest of it is they it's like the first draft of a book that hasn't been cut down yet like they basically there's so much in it and it would be so much better if you could just cut 40 percent of what you're showing like it's 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 slow basically like considering what you know what a story it is they're moving it so slowly and they've just signed for a second season. I just thought to myself, if this is the pace it goes at. Second season? 
Yeah, I know. So if this is the pace it goes at, I think it's it's going to be problematic unless it's like right in your wheelhouse. But it, as something to give a quick go and, and see what you think, I would absolutely recommend giving it a try. But the, the pacing of it, I just wish someone had have taken the red pen to a lot of the footage and a lot of the you know stuff that they have because it would be amazing. Sounds good, but a two-season docuseries sounds, sounds like a stretch. That doesn't sound right. Normally... You just knock it off in the one swing, you know, maybe a four episode mini series. You know, I'm looking at it now, nine episodes in the first season or something, and then they're going again. Geez, that sounds that sounds intense. Yeah, but it, it, have, have a look. If you can find it, have a look at the start because the guy um, is sort of morbidly fascinating. He has this combination of sort of pseudoscience and psychology with, you know, he is an intelligent guy, but he has, he has all these different little sort of circus tricks that, that concoct themselves into, into this believable um, mixture of stuff. That's actually complete bullshit, but it's enough to make all these people fall for it. And it's kind of fascinating to see how that can happen and does happen. Um, so that's one I would recommend with a sort of an asterisk on it. One thing that I, I absolutely 100% recommend, it's actually only 20 minutes of footage, so it's, it's the opposite. It's the shortest thing you'll watch all year, is uh, we're taping this on Friday, the 23rd of October, grand final day tomorrow. Have either of you guys heard about the release relating to the 1970 grand final from the National Film and Sound Archive? Uh, no, I don't believe I have. I, I, I had heard about it, but I hadn't looked into it. I just watched it. Um, someone who I sort of trust was raving about this, this thing. So basically what it is, is unlike, and so 1970 grand final was, was regarded by a lot of people as the greatest ever. And then probably even greater than the 89 grand final was because of the, the passage of time. It's just sort of faded and perhaps lost its true status. Firstly, 126,000 people were there, which is, uh, I don't think that record's going to be broken. And basically Carlton came back from a huge despots that came down from seven goals down. Ron Barassi got them to do all this sort of modern day stuff. And it was kind of like people regard it as the birth of the modern style of football and blah, blah, blah. And it was the Jezzelinko mark and all the rest of it. So it turns out that in addition to Channel 7, there were three other film crews who filmed it. And a lot of the footage had never been seen. So the three other film crews that were making, uh, one of them was just doing regional news and two of them were commissioned by cigarette companies to go and film kind of color and weird angles and things that, um, you know, that would not be captured by the, the, the channel seven broadcast. So the national film and sound archive has kind of spliced them all together. And the key thing is these additional camera crews filmed in color. So what you have is a 26 minute highlights package of that game, which has some fascinating color of the crowd and the people who are there and their reactions to the games and people on the bench and people queuing to get inside the game and the cops letting people through the traffic, you know, outside the ground you have a lot of low angles and one of the one of the crews use actual film so you have a sort of this sort of slightly different look because it's not video it's film so there's these beautiful sort of slow-mo color bits and pieces from the game and that game you watch it like that it's riveting like it, it looks like a game from 10 well not 10 years ago but it looks like a, a modern game of football where they're just dressed strangely and look like old guys and so I absolutely recommend that completely. But um, I've, I learned a lot about those guys. Like, I know this will enrage Boots, but a young Robert Walls, you know, it was weird to watch him playing. Um, the guy, Des Tudnam from Collingwood, who I, I know his name, but I've known him. That guy was just a problem. Like you watch him in this game. He was fucking amazing. 
So, uh, yeah, absolutely recommends the uh, the National Film and Sound Archive 1970 Grand Final package. It's uh, so great. you're putting down the um, the the look and feel of the game down to just the quality of the footage that that makes it actually yeah uh, it sort of reveals it as being probably not not a bad game to watch it, considering it, if you watch makes, those old the old footage in video it's 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 awful to watch most yeah, of the time this is this is really good because a it's in color which is a pretty fucking massive upgrade from from black and white so things like the alex jeselinko mark no one's ever seen that in color um, other than from stills so you know it's quite historically significant something like that um, they've also got three different audio calls of it so it's it's just sounds and feels different. but it's these it's these low angles and these close-up angles that that make it look really really different and so it's, and also it's not the whole game. You probably don't want to see every single second of it, but it's, um, it's very, very cool. It's only 26 minutes of your time. It's, it's absolutely worth watching. I also actually started watching the colorized version of, you know, that World War II colorized series of uh, documentaries. If you guys watch that, yeah. it's pretty good. You know, it's, yeah. Boots, what's your go-to World War documentary? Uh, do you have like a franchise that you, that you recommend? I, I gotta be honest. I, I kind of go across the, across the spectrum. Um, it was something I actually ended up watching a lot of them in university because I was actually doing a few subjects around it and wrote a couple of papers on on various bits and pieces of World War Two stuff, including my, my favourite paper about you know basically what what would have happened if the Germans had had the um, had the manufacturing power to actually build some of the technology that they had that was actually far ahead of where the Allies were at certain points in the war. But um, yeah, in terms of like a, a go to documentarian or, or particular uh, series that don't really have one well this i think it's a second series the one i'm watching it's like not just it's called the greatest events of world war ii in color so it, it's it's themes episodically so the one i watched just now was the battle of midway and there are other things like the thing that happened in dresden that sort of firestorm and but that the thing like battle of midway jesus christ the the bravery of the people who just like well we just got to fly out into the middle of the open ocean and we may not have enough petrol to come back, but we've got to do it. There's something about that. You see these guys flying back into the aircraft carrying their plane is like falling apart around them and it just sort of crashes down and seeing that in color, it sort of humanizes it a lot more. I guess it just makes it feel recent, which makes it feel even more significant, but yeah, it's on, it's on Netflix. So worth, worth a look. One show I bet neither of you are watching, but you might've heard of is Emily in Paris. Either of you heard of Emily in Paris? <laughs> no. It came out and soon I watched it in a day. Yeah, it's, she's in the wheelhouse for it. It's, it's, it's that type yeah. of show. It's like inoffensive, uh, visually stunning, low stakes, romping around a fashion industry sort of thing. Sounds great. Sounds fucking great. <laughs> well, I've, I've got to say, loved it, obviously. And she also, it, it, it had, the, uh, had the Darren Star seal, seal of approval, which for her. Oh, fuck that guy. Fuck <laughs> that guy. Oh, but how's the CV though, Andrew? He's made a lot of shit. He's a hit machine, whether you, whether you like it or not. And it, uh, it also had the fact that it was people in Paris, i.e. overseas where she can't go at the moment. So it really, uh, it, it had a lot of things that appealed. Yeah, well, I, I watched a bit of it and, and it, it leads me to something. I'm not raising it as a recommendation because I think most of our audience probably would, would just not have an interest in watching it. But the lead character in it is played by an actress who I hadn't seen before. She's, I don't know, 20 somethings, you know, decent enough actor. Turns out it's the daughter of British rocker, Phil Collins. Yeah, Billy Collins. 
Lily, is it? Lily Collins. So you guys up on the Phil Collins news this week? <laughs> no, I must admit I've, I've stopped following Phil Collins' Twitter. It's just, it was just too much. So I, I, I checked out of that a little while ago. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read your headline and, and see what your take on it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Headline from the AV Club. This is three days ago, so things must have happened since then. Headline, Phil Collins' ex-wife has allegedly commandeered his Miami mansion with armed guards. And then the subhead, Phil Collins trying to end armed occupation of his Miami mansion. Yeah. <laughs> Was that on your list of things you're expecting would happen this year? Well, Phil's a passionate guy and you can imagine that he's probably married a passionate woman. So yeah, look, it's not entirely surprising. It, you know, the U S is going through a lot of stuff right now. Phil Collins, he's, he's a hero. If he takes, takes back the ground, if he storms that castle, maybe he, he can become president. He does seem a little frail. I'm not so sure he could do it, but the thing I, I loved, I mean, it's, it's a, it's an interesting story at the best of times. I mean, but- frail's, frail's like the, the first tick box on the list by the looks of things. Yeah. yeah, well, that, that's maybe how she managed to commandeer it. They were just armed with like, you know, wet newspapers and they managed to overpower it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, um, look, I, I use Twitter as, as you guys, I don't think you do, Andrew, but anyway, you know, just, we all know Twitter. It's, look, it's not a great place. It's a lot of shit stuff happens on Twitter. I think it, it's, it's naive to say anything otherwise. But sometimes Twitter really comes through with the goods. And this story has just, just the responses to this story. It turns out Phil Collins is, song titles and lyrics are perfectly matched to this story. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so you see the story and then you start reading through the comments. First comment, I can't believe he didn't feel this coming. <laughs> yeah, Next comment, she's taken, she's taken control and is slowly tearing him apart. <laughs> I feel, is this one of those games where you could, you can really probably twist anyone's lyrics into matching <laughs> no. this. Like, pull a Metallica song out. I'm sure there'll be fucking something that, that sits sits right with it. No, I think he he's he's the one. That's something about his songs. Like, you know, a couple more. Take a look at him now. It's just the next comment. And then the one it's that just got a the- sentence though, Dave. It's not really particularly <laughs> lyric. I understand that he wrote it in in lyrics. But it's not like he's the first person on the planet to say that phrase. Yeah. Well, you've set me up nicely for the next one, which he is okay. the only person to ever say this. This <laughs> yeah. is the one that got the most likes. That girl's gonna get Sue Sue Sudioed. Yeah, yeah. That 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 is I'll give him that one. That is specific <laughs> to him. Yes. So, you know, it was uh, you know, sad story. You know, there's no winners in this story, but it was it was a win for the the uh, the, the comment leaving folks. Uh, oh, this was one of the, what are the odds on that happening and someone writes, whatever those odds are, I'm against them. I'm against all of them, but it's a chance I've got to take. Against <laughs> uh, the odds, yes. Phil Collins. Phil Collins, Phil yep. Collins yes. So, uh, good good luck Phil with the reclaiming reclaiming your house. I believe this is the same wife he divorced by fax in the 1980s, which is probably the most 1980s thing that ever happened. Oh, fuck. We, that's, a good, that's a good segue. We've got an update on Faxgate. Oh, please. Yes, let's hear it. Give us a, a sort of a from the top on Faxgate. Well, all right. Well, should I just start with the whole thing? Because then it'll tie in nicely. I'll try not to take too long, right? But basically, there's this kind of LinkedIn or social media douchebag that that we're all kind of aware of and I've, I've had some run-ins with personally. And um, 
you know, he calls himself a serial entrepreneur and blah, 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 blah. We won't mention his name. Anyway, he, he kicked off a new business uh, this year uh, because he is that, you know, he's a serial entrepreneur. We all know that. He's a, he's a kick-ass guy. So uh, even though it's all nonsense. So he, um, he kicked off a new business and that business is predominantly by the looks of things selling um, uh, IT hardware. So, you know, monitors and printers and, you know, servers and computers and laptops and shit, right? So... None of his pricing though is is visible on the website, so you have to sign up to like the mailing list or or to get access to the pricing. And I'm like, I wonder what the pricing's like if he's actually competitive. So I used a really old email account of mine to sign up, and it took about a week. But eventually, I got an email going, "Yeah, you've you've been authorized. You through." So I'm like, oh, I started skimming the prices, and I noticed in his catalog, he, there's he's got two brands of fax machine that he sells. One not multifunction like modern ones. Like we're talking. You know, if you Googled fax machine, the first picture that come up would be like a 1988 fax machine, just standalone with the, with the phone, you know, handset on the side. Nice. Roll paper or straight paper? Well, it's a bit hard to tell from the picture. Uh, and I, I can't remember looking at the details, but it, it probably, you know what? I reckon it was thermal. I reckon it was roll paper. Oh, that's the worst. In the description, which is super old school, right? But, you know, good on him. If it's a throwback, that's cool. Anyway, I'm like, there's no way those are actually available. I understand it's on his website, but he's probably just scraping product mapping, you know, stuff from other, you know, uh, competitor sites maybe. Anyway, so I'm like, yeah, well, for, it was only 89 or $99. So I'm like, oh, fuck it. I'm, I'll buy one. So I, um, I put in an order, but I, I had to, so he didn't know it was me because he would immediately recognize my details if, if I put it in under me. I, I made up a pseudonym and I had to align it with the old email address uh, I had, which was kind of a quirky word at gmail.com, which we all used to have. I had to find a, a, um, a business that kind of sounded like it was related to that uh, and then made up the, the um, alter ego as a guy who worked for that business and they were just desperately needing um, a fax for a one-off order from a customer. Anyway, I did all that just to see if they could even get it in stock. And, and ship it to me because I, I, I doubted it. I doubted it. Anyway, they, they, they apparently can because they have been contacting me, you know, every few days saying the address that you gave us, we, we, we can't find it in any, you know, viable address lookup to, to ship it to you. And Australia Post won't allow us to ship it to something that they don't recognize the address. And that's because I put the addresses, um, as the address from Finding Nemo, like 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. <laughs> anyway, they, they've just incessantly kept emailing me saying, you know, we want to ship this thing to you, but we can't find it. Can you please respond? Anyway, I've finally gone, all right, well, I'll just respond. And, and um, so I responded and said, look, yeah, apologies. I, I found, found all these emails from you in my junk mail. Um, yeah, sorry I didn't get back to you. Yeah, I don't know. I think what's happened is that the kids have, have been like doing a, a Disney quiz on the PC and it's like saved that address information and then that's repopulated when I've done the order. So yeah, sorry about that, the Finding Nemo tie-in. And then I just looked up the actual address of, of the business that I pretended to be from and uh, just told them to ship it there. So that business will be receiving a brand new fax machine for no good reason. Uh, <laughs> and my, my, my hope from here on in is that they they receive it and then call this guy's business and say we didn't order this and then that turns into a, a full roundabout going well yes you did we've someone paid for it and they say they're you and that you know makes them spin around in circles for another couple of weeks before I inevitably get an email going who the fuck are you 
Um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll wait for that to happen. That's the, that's the end point. The, they get to. They finally get to the. What type of person orders and pays <laughs> for a fax machine and sends it to some other place just to be a dick? That's that's where they're yes. going to get to, and that's when that email will happen. Or they might they might try to fax it to you, Andrew. They might fax they might. Their, their anger at you. They might. And I was I was talking to uh, you know uh, one of our pod brethren, uh, the ranch, the other day about that story. I was re- recounting the the latest you know comings and goings of it. And uh, we were talking about me uh, maybe playing a prank on on our good friend Peter, you know, up in up in Sydney. Um, it's always he deserves to it. stitch up someone interstate. He always always should deserve it. But I said I made a comment to Ranch that there's actually a moratorium between Peter and I about pranks uh, because of a, a prank that that may. I mean, depending on your viewpoint, may have gone a little too far um, regarding his <laughs> workplace a few years ago. Um, <laughs> please please and, tell us. Yeah, well, I was going to tell it, but I might save it for next time because there's one key factor I just need to know. And if Peter, if you're listening to this, if you could please mail in or just message one of us, I need to know the guy, the role. I'm not going to use his real name, obviously, but the role of the guy that I pretended to be for a time. I need, I need his level of role in the business. So, can't, Peter, can't you just assume? Real- can't you just kind of guesstimate? No, because it's it's much much funnier if we get the real title. I'm sure if we oh. if we if we get the because it was like it was senior enough that it was like brazenly stupid for, for it to be done. Oh, you you built done. it up. Can you can you message him and see if he can get an answer out of him? Because I'd love to hear it. At ten fourteen p.m. at night, oh, David, you, you've missed you've missed um, <laughs> estimated your man there. He's been in bed for four <laughs> hours. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no chance, no chance. Do you want to hear the story that missed missed the cut last week? The one that, that was the only funny thing that we said that wasn't recorded. Sure. So we're yeah. talking about we're talking about exercising and exercise equipment, and I I admitted that I was not a frequent gym goer. You can probably tell by my uh, rakish physique that I'm not not someone who pumps a lot of iron. You look shit hot. You look shit hot. Well, skin, skinny's in, thank Christ, and so I guess that that helps me a little bit. But no, I go so infrequently. There was the last gym I was a member of here in Oslo. I hadn't been in a while, but I was still paying. And I was like, you know what? I got I got to get down there. So I put on my gym stuff, get out of the house, and walk to the gym. And it's been so long since I went there that it was now a paint shop. <laughs> it had closed. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. But they were still stitching up for the monthly fee. I know they must have moved. That's the only thing I can think of. Like they must have had a gym somewhere that I was still paying for, and I just didn't get the memo about it closing or moving. So maybe, it's now you, can, a paint maybe you can stroll in any time and get like paint samples. Maybe that's the trade-off. Yeah, that swapped it into a paint tin subscription. But anyway, so we're talking about gym stuff, and um, when I was a kid, we so years ago, my my parents um, travelled through America because of my dad's job, and back then it was not a lucrative job, so you used to stay with people instead of, he was a tennis player, so instead of, uh, for the people who don't know, so instead of staying at hotels back then, you would basically be billeted out to a family or, you know, some supporters of the tournament or whatever and stay with them. So years after they finished uh, with travelling and playing tennis, we go back to America just for a family trip to go to Disneyland and stuff, we go on like a magical mystery tour of reconnecting with all these people that my mum and dad used to stay with back in the sixties and seventies. We finally get to the ones in what, and they're all super nice people, interesting, great people. You know, we go through Indianapolis and Palm Springs and all these different places. And it's just fantastic. We get to Washington DC and the people there that my parents used to stay with back in the seventies and sixties have gone on to become 
very, very wealthy kind of power broker types to the point that we had a private tour of the White House, which I didn't think was a big deal back then, but I now realize fucking is. Anyway, these people were wealthy to the extent that they had a, a serious collection of art in their house, which included an original Picasso at their house. So my parents, I'm 10 years old. My parents are shitting themselves that I'm going to wreck something because I'm at that age where you just, just clumsy and stupid and who knows what, you know, I'm 10 or 11. So it's like, it's, it's, it's not ideal to put that sort of person around priceless artwork. These people had a home gym and I'm like, all right, here we go. I've never been to gym. I'm going to check this out. So it's a 10 year old. Yeah. When did you first go to a gym? Like when was the first time you ever sat on a treadmill bike or, you know, like a exercise bike or a treadmill or something? I'm going to say not in primary school. Yeah, me, me neither. And that's so, so I see this thing, right? It's a gym that's unattended. And that's, I, I guess that's the thing, right? At that age, you're not given access to it. And I'm like, fucking hell, it's a treadmill. It's a running machine. I'm going to try that. So I get on it and I start off okay. And I'm like, this is pretty easy. So of course, what any 10 year old would do, I do it. I, I crank up the speed a bit and then it's getting faster. <laughs> I crank up the speed some more until I'm really having to work hard. Like it's basically sprinting level. Again, classic 10 year old move. I also put on the full incline. So I'm sprinting up a hill and I'm like, fuck, this is getting hard. <laughs> Something goes wrong with my, my sort of my running, my gait. When I take a misstep, basically step on the side part and, and fall yep. instantly, right? Instantly. I'm conveyor belted back off the end of it. Like we've all seen the videos on the internet, but the problem was it was facing into a corner. So, so, so I've been shunted into the corner of the room and the fucking treadmill's still going at like 4,000 RPM and it's made of rubber and it's just grinding the shit out of my skin because I'm just trapped. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm basically just getting sandpapered to death in the corner. So like my forearm or my left arm is just like, you know, just missing half of its skin. I'm bleeding everywhere. I managed to almost get out, but not quite. So then it just like grates the shit out of some other part of my body. So by the time I get myself out, there's about three or four major areas where I've just lost all my skin and I'm just bleeding, just oozing blood everywhere. So I sort of cover myself up a bit with a towel. So, so it looks you know less gruesome. And um, I go upstairs to see my parents and I, I should have framed this sort of comment differently. I said, mom and dad, there's been an accident. Something's happened. And I've, I've never seen them go like gray as quickly as they, cause they thought I'd fucked up one of these priceless paintings at these people's houses. <laughs> And then when I said, oh, yeah, I fell off the treadmill and lost all of my skin, they were just like, they were so relieved that it was uh, a little bit insulting. Oh, Dave, oh, <laughs> fuck off. Like, oh, it's just you and you, you, you know, you need a blood transfusion. Well, that's okay. At least you didn't fuck up any of the paintings. Davey, it's 9.30. We're asleep. Why are you waiting? <laughs> so uh, it was the only time I think in the next week we're at Disneyland and the photos of me with Mickey Mouse. Mickey's like keeping arm's length from me because I look like I had like, you know, some sort of weird leprosy. Yeah. Leprosy basically. Yeah. So Mickey didn't want to get too close. So it was a slightly sad, uh, sad visit, but that was, yeah. that was my story of the gym thing. Do you guys do, do you guys do home gym boots? You used to do a home treadmill setup. Is that still a thing? Yeah. I, I used to do it. I mean, now I, pre, pre, pre COVID, I just, the, um, there was a, a, I was using the gym near work, but you know, now we, no one in Victoria has been in a gym for, three months and even then it only kind of opened up for about six weeks in the middle of this. So kind of, I can't quite remember what a gym looks like. You don't have to answer this, but it's a personal question, but were you engaged in the services of a personal trainer at that point? Yes. 
Yes, I was. Follow-up question. What it is, I would have, and I say this not in terms of your attitude towards exercise, but more your attitude towards people, people. at times. <laughs> yeah, what yeah. Other people in their company. Yeah. What sort of magician was this that managed to get you to respect them enough to take orders, you know, physical punishment orders from them? Oh. I, I, I want to meet this person because they, uh, if they can... If they can gain your respect and get you uh, get you going on that stuff, they must be some some sort of a personal trainer. Uh, I, it was I, the, we- I, the I, weapon from Essendon days, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will uh, I will ignore that and then <laughs> move on to say that the uh, if if someone displays a level of competency competency in the field that I've chosen to pay them for, then I will listen to. Them. And uh, yeah, the, uh, the trainer who who I've had is, 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 has been good, you know. Is the um, and, you know, unfortunately, and I mean, these guys have suffered the same as uh, as others. That it's, it was only sort of back in sort of September twenty eighth that you could go back to just seeing a personal trainer one on one in a fucking park, which is yeah. an insane situation in terms of being a risk for spreading COVID. But um, anyway. There, there you are. Um, I've I've continued to see that that guys like since um, since just but you know it, it's obviously a a, a a more ideal situation in the actual gym when you've got all of the uh, all of the material. But yeah, um, so they couldn't train yeah. people outdoors even like even if they stood five meters from you and told you what to do, they couldn't do that. No, no personal yeah, training was, was banned in, in in the hard stage four. It, it, is that it, when you're back in the gym, normal situation? Is that just the two of you? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Just one on one. Just two guys. Yeah, just two guys. <laughs> yeah, nothing. Nothing to see here. <laughs> We're just just tossing it around. Just getting the get the iron, get the iron going. Just yeah. tossing some iron. Just grabbing, grabbing, grabbing some steel. Getting some bars. Getting some yeah, bars yeah. in hands. But, I mean, getting hard. Surely right. gyms are going to be. This is, this is the this is the age sixteen podcast. <laughs> it's got a different rating. Yeah, surely gyms are going to be the last thing to reopen, aren't they? Like as bad news as that is for people like this guy, but surely gyms are going to be the last thing to reopen. Well, it, it's interesting, right? Um, we the there hasn't actually been any recorded cases of transmission in gyms. Um, and I, I, I know this because I, I, a couple of uh, friends of S- actually uh, have interests and, and own these. So, it, it, you know, they're obviously picking out the statistics that are favourable for them, but they also make the point that even pre-COVID, because sort of health and sanitary and other um, concerns were front of mind in gyms before this, they're actually set up relatively well. Now, you know, the, the, the flip side is... It, it, it's proven that indoors is is the much more likely spreading event. So you kind of really need to spread spread people out. And we've, if you're training at any level of exertion, it's going to be difficult to wear a mask. But it, it will be interesting to see whether they go and open gyms around the same time that they allow people kind of into restaurants to sit together for two hours, um, or whether they whether they do push that push that back further. Anyway, well, at least I'm glad to hear that you guys are um, coming through it and uh, let's, let's hope the retail happens sooner rather than later and all the rest of it. On the subject of football, the last thing to say about it is our first, first episode of Around the Campfire. Andrew, should we, should we come up with like a theme song? Like, 
Round the campfire. <laughs> what a reverb uh, necessary. I think we can find. Do we need just some like some crackling campfire noise? Um, you know, you know, fire burning in the background, that kind of thing, as a as a as a, a slow leading. I guess we could, but it's, it's going to be hard to find campfire noises that are not irritating because it's not a very nice sound. I'll, I'll look into it. I'll see what, what I can mean? find. A, people find it one of the most soothing sounds. Relax it. Yeah, I was going to say. The fuck is wrong? And you live in a you live in a part of the world where you can use one of those suckers. You know, eleven months of the year. What the fuck? <laughs> That's true. I did just use my fire the other day, actually. So yeah. <laughs> for our first ever around the campfire, Gary Ablett Jr.'s last. Last game, I'm interested in the camp perspective on the comparison of Ablett Jr. and Ablett Sr. Well, look, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it on the field because there's a there's a very interesting dichotomy off yes, the field. Yes, keep it, good. keep it above the waist. Yeah, should have said that early on, yes. Yeah, yeah. Get this pod, podcast in a lot of trouble. It, it's, I, I kind of feel like Samuel should be on this podcast because this is one of his favourite topics that I've probably talked to him about 30 or 40 times in the, uh, over time. But it, it, it is one of the fascinating comparisons because you don't often see a, a son and father combination that, that are not just you know, good to very good players, which you you had in the, in the sort of the Tim Watson and Joe Watson and you had in um, Serge Silvani and, and Sox. You know, these guys were, were arguably, at, at least for a period of time, the, the two best players in the, in the competition at, at various stages. And, look, Gary Ablett Sr. was, to, to my mind, the, the more impactful player on, on, a, on a game-by-game basis because he, he could just ab- absolutely could take a game apart by himself obviously a style of football that you could play in the late 80s and the 90s that, that allowed a forward or someone, someone playing deep forward or even half forward to, to dominate a game in that fashion whereas it's very hard for a forward to do that now so particularly sort of 2010 you know, to, onwards with the, with the exception of Franklin you really didn't, didn't see um, see much of that and whereas in this period, we, we, we've gone through a period where not only do, do midfielders dominate the Brownlow winning it, they tend to dominate the you know, first 12 or 13 positions, vote getters in, in the Brownlow. And that's reflected in the era where, where Gary Ablett Jr. Is, you know, had, had played some of his best footy. I mean, he, whilst he certainly had some of those... Um, Sort of the electrical, electric skills, and and the ability to, to, to find the ball and hit targets. He didn't have the the same flair that his uh, that his old man played with, and I think that's why if you if you talk to people who who witnessed both eras, they they would probably say that the player they enjoyed seeing more was was Gary Ablett Senior. But for consistency over a period of time, it, it might be Gary Ablett Junior. In, in in some ways. It's a, a, a father-son version of the Jordan LeBron debate, but I, I, where you have Jordan, whose whose peak was was arguably, and oh, I, I think inarguably, but but arguably higher, but the consistency over a period of time, LeBron was potentially better. So it's just a you know, it, it's really which which of those two two versions do you prefer? And for me, it's probably 
you know the, the guy whose who's, who's peak was higher and I went to some of those games where Gary Ablett was unbelievable and the games I'll never forget whereas there's probably 20 or 30 really good Gary Ablett junior games but I'm probably not never going to forget them yeah I'm biased I'm one of those people who's biased by just liking the way Gary Ablett senior played so much more so I'd always say that he was better whether or not that's you know, a valid opinion. I don't know, but I just, I just loved watching him play, and he was, so, he, he was a more exciting player. But part of that's a function of the way the league was, as you pointed out. Andrew, did Gary Ablett Senior do do terrible things to the Saints back in the day, or was, did you guys escape his wrath? Well, I'm, I'm sure, for for the benefit of my sanity, I've I've purposefully forgotten about all of them, thankfully. But you know, we, back in the day when he was really threatening us, we had the likes of Lockett. So I was probably more focused on the other end of the ground. For, yeah, he did terrible guys. things. Who, who was his yeah. pet team? Rich, Richmond. Richmond. He tends to kick a lot of bags of goals against, didn't he? Tony Lockett. Yeah. Or, or Gary. Oh, everyone. Everyone. Pretty, pretty sure. Pretty sure. Everyone got a got a taste at one point or another. I'm not sure anyone escaped it. But yeah, it was, it was the golden age of the forward. You know. Yeah, I mean, Ab- Ablett had. I mean, there were two 14-goal games, I can remember. The one um, against Essendon in the classic game where Salmon kicked 10 and, and Essendon won. So I could thoroughly enjoy that 14 from, from Ablett. But the um, uh, the other game against Richmond where he kicked 14-9 or something and, uh, you know, was, was just... And had done most of his work through two and a half quarters. It was just amazing. Yeah, it's tough tough to be Duncan Calloway that day or whoever it was that they would have played on it. <laughs> Could have been, actually. Could have been him. Nah, I, I think Duncan hadn't started yet at that point. Yeah. Well, I guess I shouldn't, I shouldn't say good things about Gary Blood Senior because he left Hawthorne. He should have, should have stayed with us because that's where he started his career. But, uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, going down that path is going to take us into the territory we don't want to go to. He, he didn't Correct. stay. Suffice to say, he didn't stay. Um, yeah, that was that. But amazing football family. If you, what, there's a connection between him and the Tuck family. Um, and I just can't remember what it is. Is it Michael Tuck is married to his sister or there's something, there's a close connection between the Tucks and the Ablets? Not familiar with that connection, but... Uh... Yeah, there is one. That was it for... Round the campfire. I'm just hopeful that, that bringing in a basketball analogy is just going to shit the ranch more than anything I could possibly have done. <laughs> was Gary Ablett's a junior, the LeBron of a... <laughs> it's really going to shit him to tears. Yeah. Well, stylistically, it's more of a Jordan versus Steph Curry uh, argument because he, he's sort of the below-the-rim version versus the Jordan above-the-rim version. Because LeBron, as we know, is, uh, is a, a, a beast of a man. Physically, hey Jeff, time for me to sh- show you something terrible. Sure, yeah. I want, to, I want to get your take on something because someone sent it to me the other day. I got to turn my video on. Yes, it's a movie trailer. I'm going to describe this. Really like snakes. I like them either. Please, Mr. Dundee. I'm not really crocodile Dundee, you know. It's the character I play in the movies. And I have that thing on the barbecue tonight. Oops. I have news. The Queen of England wants to bestow you with a knighthood. Yes, yes. I've, I'm, I'm familiar with the trailer, if that's what you're asking. It's a Crocodile Dundee reboot in 2020 called The Most Excellent Mr. Dundee. And it looks about as, about as good and as useful as the Jane Silent Bob reboot, which I watched a bit of last night, and it is positively unwatchable. When was that? How recently was that made? Like within the last 12 months, it was released. 
Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's 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 really really bad. Although kudos to them, they got all of the old cast together, and there's a bunch of cameos, which is something. And I think that's probably just people feeling guilty about Kevin Smith nearly dying. But uh, yeah, that was awful, and the Dundee one looks just as fucking awful. It doesn't. It doesn't look good. How do you get that movie funded? If you're Paul Hogan, and because yeah, he, he's already done I this once, he, he got a movie funded by a bunch of German uh, financiers about ten years ago, which was terrible. And then there's somehow still Probably enough because he's the most Aryan-looking person that, that's ever walked the earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. But anyway, the, the trailer actually gets worse. He, he, he's looped in Olivia Newton-John, who you know everyone loves Olivia Newton-John, but. She's not at the peak of her powers, I think it's fair to say. And John Cleese. And you've got Chevy Chase wearing a, a, a peak cap and just looking awkward and being awkward. It just, it's it's not really a, uh, yeah, boy, oh boy. What, what, do you, what do you even say about it? Boots, did you, did you get caught up in Crocodile Dundee fever as a, as a youth? No, not, not particularly. But I mean, I think, look, what, what more can 2020 do? Which is that the... One question I do have, did anyone watch the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure reboot? Uh, no, I heard it was bad, but I have not watched it yet. Andrew? No, I haven't watched it yet, actually. It's, it's on my list. It's probably not going to be good, although I was pretty excited about the lead-up. I've, I've watched the, um, well, the, the first one's not as good, in my opinion, as Bogus Journey. Um, I agree. Bogus Journey, but the second one. I agree. Uh, which is yeah, thoroughly rewatchable, even at, at this point, um, even though some of the effects and stuff are, are pretty bad. The, the rest of it holds up pretty well. It's an excellent rewatch if, uh, if you like some nostalgia. The Grim Reaper. Yeah, the yeah. Reaper. He's a highlight, of course. He, he could shred. He could shred. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a hell of a guy. Yeah, Crocodile Dundee, boy, oh boy. It's been years since Crocodile Dundee was relevant or good, as much as the first and second ones were iconic and a big deal, a huge deal globally. But, I mean, what do you say? Like, Paul Hogan, you're allowed to make that movie. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But... Oh, I, I don't know. I think, I think the money could have, could have been spent better doing anything else. Yeah, almost anything else. That's right. Is, just very, very quickly, back on Bill and Ted's... Um, what the, the the guy who's not Keanu Reeves? What's his name? The, the director. Uh, well, the, Alex Winter. The guy's name is I think. Alex Winter. Yeah, who who just I just take us on a little bit of a tangent. Who directed the, the the Showbiz Kids documentary that HBO probably two months ago now, which which I watched and thought it was 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 really really good. Like was it didn't sort of you know sensationalize the. The, the real failures, the sort of the, the drug stories and, and or, you know, fix that on like River Phoenix or the, all the equivalents, but had some, you know, some, some, some interesting bits about some of the older, some of the older youth stars who like, which would, would make like 45 movies in a year, um, basically just being worked as, as slave children by their, by their parents. But then, um, you know, all the, all the way through sort of Will Wheaton and some other uh, um, some other child stars, but that's uh, that's one that's well worth a watch if you've uh, if you've got any interest in that in that uh, that part of Hollywood. I think it's called Showbiz Kids. Yes, that sounds right. He's um, he's actually he's he's directed a number of of docos um, in the last yeah. sort of five or so years. He's, yeah, he's pretty good. It's good. 
It's, I don't know. Should I, should I watch the Crocodile Dundee movie? Dundee yes. It's like a, it's like a sacrifice so no one else no, has to. Should, yeah, you should definitely watch it and then, and then give us a, a summary next time, a review. Definitely. Well, it's just, it's a sort of a sad lap of honor that no one really asked for is what I think my review will be. But, uh, the, I mean, one person who's in the trailer who doesn't disgrace himself is, is John Cleese. He's in it and he's sort of still got some timing and he has a few funny lines, but he's also kind of sad in a different way in that he's on record as saying he only still does anything because his last divorce was expensive and he, he has to, has to fund his lifestyle because he has no money. That's how you get your best performances out. This is yeah. being on the edge of edge of poverty at all times. His last tour was literally called like my wife took all my money and now I need to do shows again. Like I'm, I'm something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. I mean, it could have been worse. She could have Phil Collins dim, I suppose, but still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. All right. Well, I think it's probably time, uh, time to wrap. Are there any, any closing? Uh... Oh, go cats. I suppose. I suppose if that's where we're at 2020, what a fucking shit year. Yeah, the the world the world in which I have to support Geelong is is really a world that I really don't want to live in anymore. We'll be back next week with the uh, dream team. Maybe not with uh, maybe not with Sam, uh, the Isaiah Thomas of the squads, uh, but we'll be back soon with more Dick and Ham Show. <laughs> <laughs>